At this time, we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. So ushers, if you could please prepare for that. And, you know, uh, one of the favorite, my favorite stories in the Bible uh, involves the widow's offering. And what's so amazing is that as Jesus and the disciples are there at the temple, they see this wid- widow drop in two copper coins. And what's so amazing is that the disciples and the other people are kind of talking about it. And, and they see people, they're bringing a lot of ca- money into the temple and all that. And, and they look at the widow and they're like, that's all she gave. That's all she gave, two copper coins. And Jesus looks at them and says, wait, hold on. See, the thing is, you're looking, at, you're looking at everybody else giving out of everything they have. Their surplus. That's a key word he says, their surplus. In other words, you see them giving out of their plenty. But this woman gave everything she had. And what's so amazing is the fact is God is so concerned more about our heart when we give because it's out of our heart if we're cheerful that he says, listen, you're no longer being blessed. You're now turning yourself from a blessed to a blessing. And it's so amazing because when we give to the Lord, that's exactly what he does. He gives us blessings so that we can in turn be blessings unto others. And what's so amazing is right here at New Hope Church, there are people being saved. There's lives being transformed. There's broken hearts being made whole. There's marriages that were torn apart coming back together. There's, there's kids who are realizing how much they're loved by their Father in heaven. And it's because of a cheerful givers that have a cheerful heart. We get to be a part of his plan knowing that it affects eternity. And so this morning, you might be here, and if, that's, if, if you're visiting us, if this is your first time to New Hope Church, we want to just let you know, you don't, feel in, don't feel obligated to give. In fact, receive this service to help you in your walk with the Lord. If you're visiting us from another church, we want to encourage you to give wherever you attend church service regularly so that the Lord can work there. But if New Hope Church is where you call home, would you know that he is continuously doing great and mighty things in the lives of his people? That's why we get to give cheerfully because we have a joyful God. Would you bow your heads as we pray for our tithes and offerings this morning? Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you so much for all the things that you're doing in the lives of your people, Lord. And Lord, today, Lord, we give what we have because it's what you've given to us. And Lord, we pray that help us, Lord, to, to not just settle for being blessing, blessed, but that, Lord, we would desire to be blessings, Lord, that we would give of a cheerful heart. And I pray for those, Lord, right now that as they give, Lord, you let them know that they are being a part of your plan to reach people far from you. That, Lord, you're doing great and mighty things, Lord, that, the, that those who have no love are coming to find love, that those who have no hope are finding hope in you. And so, Lord, together, we, we, we come with you, Lord. We, we want to stand with you. We want to partner with you and continue to witness all the things that you're doing in the lives of your people. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Well, this morning, Pastor Sheldon is actually concluding his series on why we exist. And, you know, I think sometimes we ask ourselves these questions. In fact, this entire series We've been asking ourselves why we exist, why we exist. But I think one of the moments, one of the times that we most find ourselves asking, why do we exist? 
is when life seems like a desert. When we go through those hard times, those, those trials, a lot of times we ask, Lord, why do we exist? What's so funny is that when life seems like a desert, most times, in fact, every time, that's when the Lord shows us exactly why we exist. Will you take a look at this video? Dear God, I'm writing to you like a homesick teenager who feels so far from his parents. Like a soldier in a land far away that is foreign. Like a wounded soul that feels all around her is dark. Loneliness and emptiness. What is out there for me? Where are you, God? Where am I? Did I? Anger you in some way. Push against you when you try to teach me, others preach to me. Could I have done things better so that you'd stay? Treated others better so, so that, that you'd say, well done, good and faithful servant. Can I return home to you, be, be close, close to you, grow old with you, not without you? Am I still angry with you, doubtful of you, and the way things happen to me or just happen around me? I don't want to. So with no life, no forgiveness, no love, no laughter, or even no tears. I want to feel, to be with you, next to you, along for the ride in the passenger seat of life with my friend, not a stranger or my ex, anything that I left behind. I don't want to miss out on what you're doing with me, through me. So should I be saying, I did miss the point of what you've been doing in my life all along, thinking it was just wrong. I could learn from this experience instead of blaming and saying it doesn't make sense. I can be obedient and not say that life isn't fair, but be grateful that you're there. I am grown. It's not in the way I think is best for me. But in a way that is free. I will stay close. In you I boast, you are my rock and my shelter. Love always. Love always. Love always. Your chosen child. Yeah, when life seems like a desert, that's the one thing we cannot forget, that God had created us to be his children. He created us to spend time with him and to be with him, not just for in this life, but for all of eternity. You know, when we ask ourselves the question, why do we exist, we, we forget that existence is not just in bodily form, our physical nature, but being, being here on this earth and existing also has our spiritual form. And it's our spirit that will go to heaven. Our bodies will decay, and our spirits will go up to heaven to be with the Lord forever. And when we get to heaven, we will have a brand new body. Praise the Lord. But I think all, beyond all of that, what is the greatest news is that we're going to be at peace and at home with the Father in heaven. You know, whenever we go through difficult times, Usually the question that comes up is why. Like, why am I going through this? Or sometimes we review our life and we say, oh, I'm going through this because I did this, 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 and this. Or it's because I did this yesterday. Or we even use that word karma. Oh, it's because of karma. Karma. Do you know how powerful God is? He's bigger than that. And God is not a God who punishes us. God is a God who watches over us. Now, there are consequences to our actions, but Jesus took the punishment for us, for all of our sin, on the cross. That's why we're celebrating this Easter season, because of who Jesus is, that he died for us and then rose from the grave to give us eternal life. Today, we conclude our series, Why We Exist, and we're going to be talking about when life seems like a desert, like, what do we do? Where do we go from here? 
Next week, we're going to kick off our, our Easter week with Palm Sunday, and we're going to start a new series called The Family of God. And we're going to learn what that means. What does it mean to be in the family of God? But when life seems like a desert, it almost seems like we're not even close to God. And we, we love the times when, when life is like an oasis and everything is refreshed, everything is clicking, everything is going well, the family is doing good, health is good, bills are being paid, finances are great. But it's usually in those times that we go through great seasons that sometimes we tend to forget about God. We forget about God's goodness. We forget about His grace. And then there are times when we don't feel close to God. We don't feel His presence. And it feels like a desert. And when it seems like God has abandoned us or is distant from us, we may feel that we've done something wrong. But it, it could very well be that you're doing something right. And that God is just showing Himself up in a different way. That it may not be through the way we think he's going to show up, but he's showing us in a different way and giving us an opportunity to strengthen our faith in a different way. He's showing us who he is in his, in his, whole, his whole character, his being and who he is, rather than just the stuff that we get from him or the things that he does. You know, the first time I went to Hapuna Beach, if you've never been there, uh, you need to visit or, or at least go there. If you live here on the island, you need to go. If you're visiting, you should go visit because that's the place that there's white sand. If you're only on this side, you're going to see a lot of black sand. But the first time I went to Apuna Beach, after being on this island for a while, I thought, this is what a beach is supposed to look like because I came from Oahu and Oahu has, you know, white sand beaches. So as I'm walking across the, the sand to get to where we were going to be, my feet start burning. And I, I'm not used to how hot the sand is. And you know when you're halfway, you don't know, you don't know which way to go. And you, like, do you go back where it's cool or do you run toward the water? So, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. So I just started running and just ran for the water. And I, and I thought, as hot as that is, my goal wasn't just to stay in the sand. My goal wasn't just to like, take the heat and, you know, people are watching, so I got to be a man and just let my feet burn. No, I don't, I could care less what people thought about me. I'm running and ran to the water. And the moment, the moment you get in the water, it's just cool and refreshing. And, and, and it feels so good being in the water. Now, at Hapuna Beach, you have to go through the hot sands to get to cool waters. Next time I went, I learned, use your slipper. <laughs> Leave your slippers on. But normally, you have this, this whole sandy area, and you have to get through that. You know, when life seems like a desert, it's not always going to be like that. There are, are cooler waters up ahead. You just got to get through it. That's the most difficult part. And sometimes halfway through it, we're thinking, do we back out? Do we go forward? What do we do? But God gives us insight. God gives us his word to show us how, how, do, we, how do we live? How do we, how do we move forward when life seems like a desert? How do, we, how do we still stay close to God when he seems distant and he doesn't, it doesn't even seem like his presence is near? And even during worship times together as a church, like I don't sense the presence of God. 
Like, what are we doing? How do we, how do we continue to move forward when life is painful? And it doesn't seem like there's hope or God isn't there. You know, King David was recognized as a, as a man after God's own heart. And he writes this in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. David says, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? And this is King David, one of the greatest kings of Israel. A man after God's own heart. He's saying this. He's saying, wow, why are you so far away? The prophet Isaiah even says in Isaiah 45, verse 15, truly you are God who hide yourself. O God of Israel, the Savior. Now, he knows he's the Savior, yet at the same time, Isaiah is saying, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. I know you are, but it doesn't feel like it at times. You know, when my children were young, we would teach, when, when your children were young, you teach them certain things. And I, I built this bed uh, for my son, my youngest son, uh, that has chains, and so the bed is suspended in the air. So there was a ladder that he climbed up to get to his bed. Well, when he moved out, we no longer used that area, so we used the ladder for something else. But then when we had grandchildren and they come over, they want to go up on the bed. So what does Papa do instead of letting them use the ladder? I tell them to figure it out. So they have to climb up on... I know, I know this is bad grandparenting, but wait till you become a grandparent. You can let them do all kinds of stuff. But I, I, I told them, you got to figure it out how to get up. <laughs> so they're, they're trying to help each other get up. But, uh, but I watched them, and, and they would climb on the shelf that's underneath, and they would climb from that and then go on the dresser and then get on the bed. And I would watch them. And now I would be nearby, you know, in case they're kind of hanging, then I can jump in and, and save them. But, and they're, they're little kids. They'll, they'll bounce. <laughs> they're okay. But I would just watch from a distance, and I would just peek right outside of the door just to watch them, and I would be on standby. And I would just watch, and there's, there's never a time where they were in so desperate of help that I had to run and get them. There were a couple times when they were struggling, and I let them struggle a little bit, and, and then I will just walk up there and then just put my hand underneath their foot because they're like, you know, two and I'll say, okay, Papa will help you, and then I'll, I'll lift them up. But you know, today, they, they get up easily, easily. I was always present. They just never knew it. What I was doing was strengthening their faith that they could do this. Even though Papa was there, they, they made some mistakes. Even though I was there, they had some struggles. But even though they had some struggles, there was one thing I would never let them do. I would never let them fall. That was the one thing that was a given. And you know what God does is he watches us. And it seems like he's distant sometimes. But even when we fall, God doesn't let us fall so hard that he cannot be there for us. You see, God does things in his timing and how he sees things. We may not see everything. We may see a little bit, but God sees everything. And although God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us, 
He never promised that we would always feel his presence. You know, in the book of Job, and if you read the book of Job, boy, it's, it's a tough book to read because there are a lot of questions that come out of this. Now, we like the ending of the book of Job. We don't, we don't like the beginning and then going through it, but the book of Job gives us just a, a, an idea of how God really thinks and, and what we go through. In fact, Job, when he was going through what he was going through, he writes this in Job 23, verses 8 through 10. He says, you know, I go east, but he's not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. But he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. Whenever God goes, whenever we go through a test with God, the test isn't the end result. You know what God's end result is? That we would come out as pure gold. There's a refinement that takes place. You know, when we take tests, especially in school, we take tests in school not because we just need to take a test. We take a test to see what's on the inside of us and how we're doing academically. Because I can say I'm the smartest person in this classroom, but the true test is when. When I take the test, that's going to be the true test. It doesn't matter what I say because what's on the inside is going to come out. It's not how, if I say how smart I am, it's if I pass this test. And even so, as a believer, it's not coming to church or reading my Bible or doing my devotions or saying I'm a Christian. It's what I do when life seems like a desert to show me what's really on the inside. And we go through these times. It's, it's very easy to trust God, to worship Him, to adore Him when everything is going well. Much more difficult when life seems like a desert and God seems distant. You know, Job had it all. He had money. He had fame. He was popular with the people. The people liked him. He had everything. Great children. And then in one day, everything was gone. See, the true test wasn't when Job had it all and when he was going through life with having the finances, having his, his, his family. and That wasn't the true test of Job's faith in God. The true test came when everything was taken in one instant. He lost everything in one day and everything was gone. But let's watch how Job responds when everything is gone. In Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, so he grieved. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Now, we can read this and say, well, good for you, Job. You can praise God when you lose everything. But he wasn't praising God because he lost everything. He was already praising God when he had everything, not because he had everything. There's a difference. Oh, he thanked God for what he had. He, he, he was a blessed man, absolutely. But the true test was when he lost it all. And Job's faith got him through the most difficult time of his life. 
You know, although Job was emotional, he didn't let his emotions control his heart, nor did he let his emotions control his worship to God. Now, why didn't, why didn't Job let his emotions control him? Because Job knew that he would not always feel close to God. Job knew that. He already made the decision years before. Long before he went through this, he already knew that he's not worshiping God with his feelings. He's not, he's not following God with his feelings. His worship, his heart, and his love for God wasn't based on emotions or riches or because he had his family or what he possessed or his circumstances. It was based purely on who God was to him and his relationship with him rather than how he felt. So we're going to learn three faith actions when life seems like a desert. How, how, do we, how do we go through this? Especially when God seems distant. And here's the first thing, number one, and you have your app if you want to write down some notes or the notes that you got when you came in, that we have to be completely open with God. Completely open with God. Because sometimes I think we hesitate being open with God because God may not like us or he may disapprove of us or we have to, you know, perform for God so that we look good, but God knows everything about us. And like any relationship, the more open we are, the truer and authentic and real the relationship is. Because you and I can only go so long with being a surface kind of person in a relationship, especially the closer you are to that person, like in a marriage. In fact, when you first get married, you're not completely open and honest. You're not open because there's still some, some getting used to each other. Even when you're dating, you're trying to get used to each other. In the beginning, like Heidi could, you know, you know, we would flirt and she would like splash water on me while we're at the pool and I'd be like, wow, come on, Heidi. And I'll splash her and she's like, oh, stop it, stop it. Stop splashing. You grab them, pick her up, throw her in the water and you know, play and, you know, mess around. So you do that, but it's like, it's okay in the beginning. And then... <laughs> You do that now. My hair, my hair. Stop splashing the water in my hair. I just put on makeup, you know. I just put on makeup. Heidi would say the same thing too. <laughs> just seeing if you're paying attention. Just seeing if you're paying attention. But when you get married, like things change. Why? Because in the beginning, you really wasn't okay with that. You wasn't okay with them pouring cold water down your back. Who's okay with that? It's like, oh, it's so cold, honey. Come here. Now it's like, right, do that again. <laughs> like, things change. But really, has it changed? No. What happened in the beginning is that you, we just weren't open and honest. It just took some time. And it's same with God. Our openness and honesty with God is what he so loves. Because he knows what's happening in our heart anyway. Look at what Job 7.11 says. I can, he says, I cannot, I cannot keep from speaking. He even says, I must express my anguish, my bitter soul must complain. Now, before we move on, because I know some of us will look at that and say, see, that's why I complain. I'm, I'm, I'm just an open and honest person. No, no. Job was, was open and honest with God. He wasn't going to everyone and his friends and complaining to his friends. No, he's open and honest with God. Just think about it. In, in one day, all of a sudden, Job loses everything. Imagine one day we lose everything. And, or maybe even right now, all of a sudden, you don't feel 
any spiritual nearness to God or any on-fire moments. You know, when you say, oh, man, that guy is on fire. Or, man, when I first met the Lord, it was just there's something burning in my heart, but now there's, I, don't, I don't feel that anymore. Like things have, have gone away. You pray, but nothing happens. You, you even resist the enemy. Nothing happens. You, 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 you pray over your home, your family. It seems like nothing is taking place. You even have people pray for you, but nothing. And you do everything possible. Attend church. Read the Bible. Do your devotions. You confess sins. You, you, you worship God. You make, you make right with others. And you, you, you do things well. And it, it seems like nothing, nothing is happening. And it still feels like there's no spiritual growth or nearness to God, or even maturity. Job even says in chapter 29, verses 4 through 11, that when I was in my prime, God's friendship was felt in my home. The Almighty was still with me, and my children were around me. My cows produced milk in abundance, and my, my groves poured out streams of olive oil. And he says, man, those were the days. He's reminiscing on the good times. See, we might think that something is wrong, but it could very well be that something is right, that it's, it's a part of our relationship with God. And when life seems like a desert, it could be an opportunity for us to mature. And it's usually during these times that God brings to attention what he's been trying to do all along. Like our, our, our awareness is there now because we're, we're fine-tuning some things. Be completely open and honest with God. That's where it starts. Psalm 116, verse 10, it says, I believed in you, so I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord. In other words, the, the, the psalmist is saying, I'm going to express myself with you, God. I, I'm troubled. I'm going through this hard time. And, and, and there are two things that causes a feeling of separation from God. It's sin and the testing of our faith. The difference is sin actually separates us from God. But the testing of our faith, that doesn't. It, it, it just feels that way. But God sometimes allows us to go through these kinds of seasons where there are no feelings even when worshiping him. There's just no feelings there which is his way of teaching us to worship him, not with feeling, but with your faith. That's what is happening with Job. So when we're completely honest with God and you express yourself to him, you're building up your faith, not your feelings. And we become stronger. But we got to be completely open to God. And then the second thing is to trust who God is, not our circumstances, not our feelings or our sight, but we trust who God is, his character, his nature, and his promises. We trust in him. Job chapter 10, verse 12 says, You gave me life and showed me kindness, and in your providence watched over my spirit. God is watching over our spirit. That's what he's concerned about. You know, God is not necessarily concerned about our actions than he is our heart behind the actions. That's what he wants. He wants our heart. He's looking for our heart. And it seems like in the beginning of our relationship with God, it seems like God is answering all of our prayers and, and everything is working right and, and, and everyone is behaving. And wow, it seems like God is there all the time. He's answering my prayers. And now it seems like, wow, he's not even there. Like, where is he? And as a new Christian, 
Maybe in the beginning, God was just telling you and letting you know that he is real, that this is who I am. But as you grow and mature, we should be depending on him, not what he does. It's our relationship with him, not what he does for us. And here's the mistake we make many times. We have the longevity of our relationship with God, but we still have yet to depend on how God revealed himself in the beginning of our walk with him. We, we, we look for the answered prayer, the moving of the Holy Spirit, the miracles, revival, the good old days, and the yesteryear. But that's the difference between maturity and maintaining. Maturity says, I don't need to feel the feeling anymore. That's maturity. I don't need the feeling anymore. That's when you know you're growing. While maintaining says, I don't feel the moving of the Spirit anymore. What can I do to get that back? Because you want the feeling. But if you're going for a feeling, you're missing out on your faith. And we look for the feeling rather than the Lord himself, and we trust the things we did rather than in who God is. Job 42, verse 2, he says, you know, I, I, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. That's the trust that we can have in God, that God, you can do anything, and no one can stop you. So I want, I want to be with you, God. I, I want to be where you are. And even when life seems like a desert, I'm going to trust you. And Job trusted in God more than the things he had or the way things were. Talk about maturity and faith. That's, what, that's where Job was at. And Job lost it all. This is the man who lost it all. And to make matters worse, if you read the entire book of Job... When everything was taken away, it's 37 chapters later that God finally speaks. So for Job, he's waiting all this time, but in the waiting time, he's not, he's not tossing in the towel and saying, I'm giving up. He's saying, no, 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 I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. He had that faith. And when God finally speaks, you look in chapter 37, God speaks out of the storm, which tells us that God is in there through the storms, through the desert times, with you and I. He's always there. Now, what did Job's trust look like? Job 13, verse 15. If you want to put this to memory, you should. We, we, and we can read this together. Job chapter, chapter 13, verse 15. Ready? Go. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. You know what Job is saying? I have my own ways. And yes, I'm, I'm a little, you know, I got my own ways to myself. And I may defend some things that I do, yet I will still trust him. Even though I go through all of this. That's the kind of faith we want to have. Job said, I will, I will be completely open with you, God, but I'll also trust who you are. And the last thing, you can write this in, to review God's track record. Sometimes we, we review our track record. No, 
don't review our track record. Don't review your track record. Review God's track record. At the end of service, we're going to be receiving communion. And that's a part of God's track record, what Jesus did for us. That's what Job did. Job looked to God and he said, I'm going to trust your track record. He, he, he never reviewed his circumstances. Job never looked at his own circumstances and took an inventory of what he had to, well, what he had to be used to measure who God was. He focused on who God is and God's track record, not his possessions or his, his circumstances. And when life seems like a desert, instead of reviewing our sins and the reasons why we feel this way, which is okay because there's a grieving moment, but instead of us staying there, review God's track record. Look at what he has done and what he continues to do. Read the Bible because God shows up all the time. See, I understand learning from our past, but when life seems like a desert, right now is not the time to start listing our sins. Right now is a time to trust God in his track record, which is unbreakable. That's just who he is. Look at Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love towards us. That in, while we were yet, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, so if you think God is punishing you because you're going through something, he says, no, I'm, I'm demonstrating my love for you. That even while you were a sinner, this is when Christ died for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You know what God is saying? He's saying Jesus gave up everything so that you could have everything. That's God's track record. And John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave us his one and only son. Tell me God doesn't have a track record. God's track record is unbreakable. He is faithful and he proves himself time and time again. Jesus died for us imperfect people so that we could spend eternity with him in a perfect place. So here's the encouragement. Isaiah Chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. It's like Isaiah is saying, okay, forget all that. Forget all the good stuff. Forget all the things that go bad, the things that go good, and the things that are, 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 are tearing you apart, tearing you down, and when life seems like a desert, forget all that. It is nothing. And he's speaking as a prophet of the Lord, and what God is saying, it is nothing compared to what I am going to do for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it, God says. I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. You know what God is saying? As difficult as times may be, or when we go through the desert, he says, I can turn that desert into an oasis, even though you're halfway there. I will make a pathway so that there will be cool waters for you. And we might think, but I don't see it. I, how can this be? It's too difficult right now. My finances are tight. Health is an issue. My marriage, my family are not doing well. I don't see how God can do this. Jeremiah 32, verse 27. I want you to hear this. This is, this is the Lord speaking. He says, behold, I am the Lord. 
the God of all flesh. Then he says this, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me? There's nothing that's too hard for God. Absolutely nothing. And when life seems like a desert, always remember that as difficult as it may be for you, it's not too difficult for God to do something great. Amen. I'm going to call up our worship team and we're going to receive communion. And the ushers can pass out the juice and the bread right now. Go ahead, you can do that. And you just hang on to your juice and the bread. And I'm going to read Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. Because Jesus understood what it meant to be in the wilderness. In fact, that's where he went as he fasted and prayed before he started his ministry. He went into the wilderness. And he was led by the Spirit, and then he came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. I would pray that today as we receive communion together, that we may have come here in a, in a certain condition, that we were led by his Spirit as it were, but that we would leave here with the power of the Holy Spirit to become who God has created us to be. And when you take the juice and the bread, just hang on to it and we'll receive communion together. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14, Jesus is with his disciples. And this is on the night he was going to be betrayed as well as get arrested or be arrested and then eventually go to the cross. When the hour had came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, he said to them, I, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, this, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and, and broke it and, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. We do this because of what Jesus has done. And when life seems like a desert, God is not finished. He might just be beginning. And when Jesus was in the upper room at the Last Supper, eventually when he died on the cross, he he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you know that even Jesus himself felt the desert time of being separated from his father, separated from God at that moment? God, God turned away, separated himself, hid his face because it was at that moment that all the sins of the world was placed on Jesus And Jesus died for us. You see, God turned away from Jesus with all that sin so that he could turn towards us and see perfection. No more sin, no more shame, 100% pure love for us. We're going to sing a song called Good, Good Father, and you can, be, you can stay seated, but... 
The Bible also tells us to examine yourself, to examine yourself, to process what is happening and think through what we just learned. And then I'll come back up and we'll receive communion together. Because I'm sure there are some here today that maybe your relationship with God is distant right now or, or maybe you don't know Him yet and you want to give your life to Him and maybe you've been curious about what it would be like to be in a relationship with God and, and what does that look like. But I can tell you this, that there's no other relationship like our relationship with God because it's every relationship that will come out of that one that will make it successful. And if you're here today and you're saying, I, I've never received Jesus in my life, but I would want to. I just don't know how to. Well, I'm going to say a prayer with you. I will lead you in a prayer. All you need to do is include your heart and repeat after me because it's with your mouth as you confess and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says you're saved. And if you're here today and you're saying, I want to give Jesus my life, could you just raise a hand real briefly? And you're just saying, I want Jesus in my heart. Okay, God sees your hand. Okay, God's tugging at your heart right now. Okay, God sees you. He sees you right there. Okay, I'm panning on a cross. Anybody else? Okay, God sees you too. Okay, yeah, God sees you. Okay, you can put your hands down. I think even as believers, when we go through desert times, sometimes we can lose hope, but not today. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. And even as believers, we can pray this prayer too. And as we pray this prayer, as you repeat after me and you include your heart, know that God is building your faith. Here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave to give me eternal life. I thank you. I believe in you. And I trust you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Would you stand with me? I'm going to receive communion together. Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. And he says, every time you do this, don't forget about me. This is why I came. I came for you. This is why I'm doing this, because I love you that much. You take the bread together. Then he took the cup and he said, this is the brand new covenant. It is written in my blood. Don't forget what I did for you, my pure blood. For whatever your life is, I will exchange it for everything I have. For your sake, for my sake, through his poverty, we become rich. You take the cup together. And the entire church said together, Amen.